If this life is driving you to drink, you're sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing, 'cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hello, I'm Ellie Mayo Hagen, and I am Owen Jones. And this is Agitpod. We have a very special guest today. Are we going to do the song? We are going to do the song, <laughs> and she's going to. Ha- she is. She's so everyone knows for those two years. She's called Sirio. She's a fantastic uh, activist and writer uh, with Podemos, which is a Spanish radical party. So to introduce her, here we go. Sirio, 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 Sirio. Sirio, Sirio. I actually uh, went around Spain campaigning with Sirio. I'm singing that song. Uh, indeed, for two yeah, indeed. for two Spanish general elections, one in December 2015, one in June 2016. Uh, it was a little road trip, but I just harangued her constantly, harassed her with that song, and in no way did she find that irritating. And still, it only has one word. Yeah. You never expanded the lyrics. It's... Yeah, we should do a full like a full version. Yeah, I mean, you should have... different verses. That was an error on your part, because I will now put in the effort. <laughs> and uh, I think it's got, number one, at least a hint at number two about it. So so you brought that on upon yourself. Yeah, indeed I did. Um, but I'm very excited about this, because... So just to explain, Syria I've known for years, so has Ellie. And uh, I, I, I basically... What I've done over the last few years is, is support Podemos, which is this left-wing uh, Spanish party, which emerged in 2014. Um, and campaigned with them, and that's largely through uh, Sirio. And she tells me everything that's going on in Spain, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the upheavals in Spain. Uh, the Spanish right-wing government has just fallen. Pedro Sanchez uh, woo, of, of the uh, Socialist Party has uh, taken power, uh, partly because of a no-confidence motion, which was backed by Podemos and other parties. Uh, so what we're going to talk about is... WTF Spain, what's that all about? The, the movements there, uh, what it means for the left, not just in Spain, but across Europe. Because in terms of the financial crash, when lots of right-wing and xenophobic populists came to the fore, Spain was a bit of an exception. Uh, it didn't have uh, something like UKIP or the National Front in France or alternative for Deutschland in, in Germany. Uh, instead, it, it had this left-wing populist uh, party, I suppose, uh, which emerged from... Uh, some of the street movements there, which we'll talk about, uh, and 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 has for me certainly been a beacon uh, of the left and and how we can build a new Europe. Yeah, should we kick off? Yeah, let's do it. So why don't we start with why don't you tell our listeners, try and explain like the political landscape in Spain. So who who are the main political parties in Spain? Okay, so we the political landscape in Spain has in Spain has changed massively over the last few years because there used to be a very two-party system, and that was it. it was like um, a or what B. were the two parties? So we have on the one hand the popular party, PP, which are the Conservatives, uh, and there's a party that includes everything from the far right to the moderate right, so it's a lot larger than most Conservative parties in Europe in terms of its political spectrum, and then the SOE, the PSOE, the Socialist Party, which is the centre-left. And that has changed with the... Um, and then we had the nationalist parties, which were somewhat right-wing, somewhat left-wing. This has changed now. In 2014, we had Podemos, which is now on an almost equal standing with the Socialist Party. We're like one point behind um, in Parliament. And then we have Ciudadanos, which is 
uh, citizens. It's a Catalan party that had existed for a long time as a minority party, but that has increasingly been growing as an alternative to Podemos, because Podemos was the new party, so this is the new right-wing party getting increasingly xenophobic now. So to explain kind of what happened uh, with with the Spanish crisis, because uh, what happened is, as I'm sure most people listening know, uh, the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s ended mm-hmm. with the victory of uh, General Franco's forces establishing an uh, extreme right-wing dictatorship, which mm-hmm. lasted until his death in 1975. Mm-hmm. And then there was a transition uh, to democracy, which was heavily managed, mm-hmm. um, and ended up with this what people call the uh, 78 regime, which mm-hmm. was uh, basically a settlement, uh, a, a consensus in, of, of a form, which was established with the two parties, Pessori, um, and, uh, and 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 the right, um, but then the financial, the economic crisis, which uh, convulsed Europe, it hit Spain particularly badly, didn't it? So, do you, do you want to just explain what what happened to Spain? Yeah, it's quite an extraordinary story, really, because in 2011, when the effects of the socialization of the financial crisis was starting to be felt, um, nothing seemed to happen. Like apathy seemed to reign over Spain and. Um, it was quite frustrating until it all suddenly changed. Like, just to t- so people know what that t- the economic turmoil was like. Yeah. Most young people are out of work. Hundreds of thousands of families evicted from their homes. Mm-hmm. A big property bubble, which was quite unique in Spain, just imploded. Indeed. Um, so, and then it was the socialists who started imposing, uh, who were in power. They started imposing austerity. But to the point where they even reformed the constitution, which until then had been perceived as untouchable, to make debt repayment a priority over anything else, including uh, healthcare and education. And yet all these things were happening and people just seemed to take it. So it all changed on the 15th of May, 2011. There was this small demonstration called um, All the Social Networks, which in itself was rare at the time. Um, this demonstration was unique also in its message, in that it wasn't against a particular law, against any um, particular measure, but it was calling for real democracy. It said, these politicians don't represent us. We're not goods in the hands of politicians and bankers. We want real democracy. And in case that wasn't extraordinary enough, there after this demonstration, a few people camped in one of Madrid's main squares, and they got evicted by the police, and then they returned in the hundreds, and then in the thousands, and then all these occupations calling for real democracy spread all over Spain in thousands of squares, and um, abroad as well, Spanish migrants camped in front of embassies. Here in London, we had a quite a decent camp. And, and this message of these occupations calling for real democracy and saying these problems are not like the weather that we have to take on, these are political problems that result from governments ruling in the interest of a tiny privileged elite instead of the population. Um, were supported by 80% of the population. That's what Paul showed. And these movements then turned, um, when the occupations ended, they flourished into this enormous range of social movements from anti-eviction platforms to neighbourhood assemblies to movements against cuts in education. And it felt over that year that all of Spanish society was on the streets. There were doctors occupying hospitals to stop the privatisation. There was demonstrations of lawyers, which we had never seen, calling for legal aid, all of Spanish society was on the streets, uh, and for a while it was really amazing. But then we had um, elections, general elections, and the Conservatives won by an overwhelming absolute majority, which was devastating, because we thought, like, well, what's the point of everything we've done? And if, like, it doesn't really matter how much we shout from the streets if there's nobody at the top willing to listen. And what's wrong with us? Why wasn't this 
majority on the squares translating into the ballot boxes. Mm. And it was interesting in that election, wasn't it? Because actually uh, the, the, the percentage that the Conservatives had went up drastically. Yes. But their vote actually didn't. What happened was a lot of people uh, abstained. Uh, a lot of people who would have voted for the Socialists previously mm-hmm. uh, stayed at home because they were so disillusioned with, with both. Yeah, and the reason for that, and we had this doubt, like, why is this majority the streets not making it into the election? And it was because it could, there was nothing it could get translated into. The traditional left-wing parties were too busy to- talking to themselves and not engaging with what was happening outside. And then the two main parties um, had become virtually indistinguishable from one another. So they were not either the channel for this. Um, and that's why Podemos was born, to be able to represent that majority also in the institutions and to have somebody inside the institutions that could respond to all the demands of the social movement. So it was a product, wasn't it, on, and uh, we're both of the success and failure of the street movement, and mm-hmm. a product in the sense, the indignados or 15M or whatever you want to call it, that ended this consensus on the streets. It broke mm-hmm. the idea of resignation to that system um, and opened up space for something new. But people saw the limitations that we can protest and organise, but we've got to have people in positions of political power as well. You can only, you know, protest can only take you so far, even though it's critical, you've got to have both. Exactly. So where's Podemos at now? So the story is quite a long one. Um, Go on. (laughs) Come so, on, we've got time. I mean, make, make some time, everyone. A little cup of tea. A okay. little, a little shortbread biscuit, maybe. I mean, it's a long one, given that we've only been in existence for three years, but so <laughs> much has happened that it feels like several decades. So Podemos was created in uh, January 2014, and in four months, uh, and with no funding whatsoever, other than what we obtained from crowdfunding, obtained a million votes and five MEPs in the European election. Then it went on to dispute the local and regional elections. And although it didn't run for the local elections, it supported independences and platforms um, of which it was part, which now govern Spain's major cities, including Madrid and Barcelona, which are demonstrating that uh, this idea of the alternative is rubbish. The Madrid Council has managed to reduce debt by 40% while increasing social spend by 30% and applying amazing participative budgeting measures and other ways of real democracy in municipal management. Then we had um, national elections in 2015, the ones you came to. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke on Syria at the misfortune of having to translate my half-baked gibberish <laughs> on platforms across Spain. It's it so was, much fun. It was a special moment. She, was, she sounded far more eloquent than me, so, <laughs> which was embarrassing. And, um, and in those elections, Objectively speaking, Podemos obtained a really good result in that it was a party created, um, just created, that essentially got a joint second place because it was 1-2% behind the soil. However, it was less than we expected because our expectations were so high, but objectively considered, it's an amazing result. However, because the parliament was so split, um, there, could, there was no agreement. So we had a rerun of the elections in June 2016. And... And the result was quite similar. Um, so Podemos ended up with 71 MPs and the SOE ended with 85. But it was a big disappointment, though, in, some, in many ways, wasn't it? Because the polling suggested mm-hmm. Podemos could do really well and, and, and maybe even form a government with Pablo Iglesias. He's the leader of mm-hmm. Podemos, as prime minister, with the socialists as a junior partner. And, and in fact, 
they actually were behind the socialists again. And I think if in the first election we had had an extra week of campaigning, we would have made it. We were very, very close, but you're right, even though objectively considered the result was really good because our expectations were so high and we were so close, we almost made it. It felt like a major disappointment. And what felt even more of a disappointment was the fact that Rajoy, the Conservative president, still was president. And it wasn't just president. It's started applying awful, awful measures like the, the gag law, which makes it illegal in Spain to take pictures of police officers. So if you encounter a police officer that's beating an old lady, you cannot take a picture because you can be fined, I think, up to 30,000 euros, something like that. They've now taken um, musicians, rappers in particular, to prison for uh, insults to the monarchy just because of the lyrics. Uh, and so on. We also have the Catalonia situation with the Spanish government has been exacerbating just because it's their own interest. It's applied a terrible labour reform. So not only we failed to kick out, I hope, kick Rajoy out of power, we also had to witness some, like, seven years of terrible um, reactionary politics in our country. So that's it caused a bit of a crisis in Podemos, naturally, and in Spanish society, because all that excitement of the previous years, like, what is this for if nothing changes? I think Inigo Rajon, who was one of Podemos' MPs, put it quite well. He said that it was like being in a hamster wheel, in which we're constantly running and exhausted, but nothing seemed to change, nothing seemed to move. So that led to a bit of a crisis in Podemos. Uh, well, like, I think it's quite normal, given the circumstances. We just started thinking, like, what it is that we're doing wrong? Because, obviously, we were first in the polls and then suddenly Rajoy is again in Parliament and with the majority to do whatever he wants, which generally is a terrible thing. And he's actually seriously ruining the country because the Catalan crisis is no minor problem. It's something that really puts the future of Spain at stake. So there were two main answers to this question of what have we done wrong. Um, one said that uh, essentially we had become too soft and we had been absorbed by the system and looked too much like the system, led by Pablo Iglesias. And the other one said, it's the opposite. We still look too scary. And people are afraid we're going to take the second homes and with like Venezuelan radicals that will um, nationalise people's daughters or something. And what we should do is keep the radicality of the proposals, but look nicer and more gentle. And obviously, this is actually quite a minor difference because... It's not a difference in politics. No. It's not a difference in strategy. It's specifically a difference in communication. It's tone. It's tone, exactly. But as the left tends to do, out of this like minor difference, it made a huge deal. And this led to a big process that ended in a um, conference last year, which uh, was won by the Iglesias side. And that was that. But for a bit, we still had this sense of frustration of nothing changes. We keep running. We have to keep having to fight all this fight and nothing changes. Um, till last week... Uh, when suddenly we, Rajoy was kicked out of government. Uh, and this opens a whole new period where we can do really good things and can actually get Spain to start moving in the right direction. Why was Rajoy kicked out? So the Conservative Party has been involved in huge corruption scandals for many years. And all these sentences kept coming out and they seemed people started to go to jail. Most of the Conservative government between 96 and 2004 is now either in jail or being judged, uh, being on trial, which is quite extraordinary. All of the um, treasurers of the Conservative Party um, have been deemed guilty of illegal financing, and yet that party was still in government. 
but there was a sentence from a case known as Gurtel that uh, came out, well, part of it, it's still, it's going to go on for a while, but it came out last week, which essentially said that the Conservative Party was um, responsible of systematic corruption, that it wasn't brought in apples within the party, that the whole party had been acting as a criminal organisation and stealing public money. And it also said that the current president was um, quite possibly had lied in court. So this uh, triggered the um, Socialist Party to launch a motion of no confidence. And for a long time in Podemos, we've been saying that um, the numbers existed. I mean, we had the majority. Podemos, the Socialists and the Nationalists had more seats in Parliament than um, the Conservatives and Ciudadanos did together. And we tried to form a government after the last elections to make that progressive government ideal because, yes, the, the socialists are not socialists, but the better, that the less are evil and we can do things with them. We can, when pushed in the right direction, they do the right thing. So we've been saying for ages that the numbers existed. And finally, the socialists decided to go ahead and with the backing of Podemos and of the nationalists, we kicked Rajoy out. Hmm. So with them, yeah, so Pedro Sanchez is the new... Uh, Socialist, inverted quotes, Prime Minister mm-hmm. Spain. Um, now, he himself has been uh, caught in the midst of party turmoil. Yes. This is a tumultuous time. Uh, it's all kicking off everywhere, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened with uh, the Spanish Socialists is he was actually overthrown in a party coup, uh, which sounds probably familiar to lots of people uh, here in Britain. And what it transpired is... For example, El Pai, the newspaper, which traditionally was seen as left of centre, but has moved to the right. Massively. Um, and, and it is backed, you know, it's, it's funded by major corporations. Uh, but they, they were implicated in this, in this coup against him. Um, and then what happened is he resigned uh, from Parliament and then he went on a grassroots tour, built up support amongst the membership and then became, in, in quite a dramatic fashion, became mm-hmm. leader of Pesori again. Uh, so he's ended up in a situation where he was overthrown by his own party, kicked out of Parliament, and now he's Prime Minister. In terms of tone, he has tried to present himself as more to the left than his predecessors. Mm-hmm. How, mu- and how much is that just posturing? And also, given, you know, for a long time, Pesori and him tried to define themselves against Podemos, against the left, and actually seemed to prefer working with Ciudadanos, who are a right-wing liberal force. Um, to what extent do you think it's possible that they could form uh, a united front? And the other thing is, in Portugal, neighbouring Portugal, which has one of the only left-of-centre governments in Europe, other than Spain now, um, you did have uh, the Socialist Party uh, there, uh, for, form a government backed by more radical left-wing parties, mm-hmm. and and they got concessions, more radical policies out of that agreement. But then the socialists just took all the credit for it, and now they're doing really well at the expense of the more left-wing party. So that's a danger. So what do you think is happening? How lefty is he? Uh, <laughs> will they form um, a a lasting pact which could last after an election? Mm-hmm. And and how are Podemos going to manage that? Do you think? Okay, lots of questions there. Yeah, sorry. Take <laughs> so those with uh, Pedro Sánchez, I think he's a bit of an empty vessel, as in he decided to um, go for appealing to the left of the party just because that's where the gap was. If the gap had been on the right of the party, he could have gone for like a Macron-style leadership. It just, he did that because that was the niche that was available. Um, but he now has to stick to it. Because that has that's been his um, pitch so far, and and the 
Govern, new government, there's good things about the, the ministers. It's the first government in the history of Spain that has more women than men, has two openly gay ministers, even though one of them is quite dodgy and right-wing. But, oh. um, right-wing gays, the worst. I can say that. <laughs> yeah, That's fine. You didn't. Yeah. I did. Uh, yes. <laughs> anyway, so there's good bits and bad bits. So he's trying to stick this, um, the left is of the left. He actually isn't. Uh, so we need to push him in that direction to keep it going. So Podemos is in a really good position in that, as I said, the socialists have 85 seats in a parliament of 350. Podemos has 71. So if he needs to govern, he needs us. We're not part of the government, but we'll be defining policy in a way that hasn't happened before. We've had two years of complete deadlock and frustration. And now it's like with um, Cast of the Mooring and Can Row that need to row, and rowing is going to be terrible, and there's going to be horrible currents and sea monsters and things we need to do, but at least we have the capacity to move. And it's up to us to keep pushing for um, um, Sanchez to do the things that he says he will do, because otherwise he'll kind of go back to the more conservative tendencies of soy. But it's a really good chance to change things. And I said, for the first time in years, we getting back that hope of 2013, 2014. There was a reason why when um, the motion passed, the whole parliament shouted, si se puede, which was... Well, I explain what si se puede means. It's what, it, it started actually in the anti-eviction movement, when people were going to get evicted, uh, families were going to get evicted, neighbours would uh, sit there and say, si se puede, it can't be done. They, I mean, this, we can't do this, like, we can't stop the eviction, like, that's People, what Podemos means anyway, isn't it? We can. We can. So yeah. what uh, Podemos did is took the si se puede, it can be done, and then added the collective plural, we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a shout of indignados because this new government didn't emerge because of the strength of SOE. It emerged out of collaboration of a lot of parties um, who were forced by social movements to do that because there's been an amazing rise of the feminist movement in Spain. The pensioners have also taken the streets and there's like this huge cry against um, all the corruption. So parties, that's why Sanchez agreed to get the backing of the nationalists and Podemos, which he had refused before because Spanish society demanded it. So yes, it's a government headed by the Socialist Party, but it depends on a lot more people to function and Podemos has an extremely good chance of influencing politics now. And do you think though Podemos will be able to get radical demands and do you think they'd get the credit for it? I mean, you know, because what they'll, what will happen now surely is we don't know when elections will happen. And elections could probably happen at any moment really. Or not? No, no. No, the way he's designed, he initially said he would call immediate elections, but the nature of the government he's chosen indicates is a government made to last till the next election in 2020. So, so we have two years probably. And, and do you think, you know, Podemos will be able to win genuine concessions? And what kind of concessions? And do you think they'll get the credit for it? So um, I think we can. I think we're definitely in a position of strength where we can achieve a lot. And there's things that Spain needs desperately. These are not cosmetic measures. Things like um, repealing the gag law needs to happen now. We need to sort out and defuse the tension in Catalonia because that reached a ridiculous point which I have never been allowed to reach. Um, we need to reform, well, uh, appeal the last labour reform and uh, attend to the, like, um, pay attention to the demands of the feminist movement. Things like um, equal paternity and maternity leaves, which are not transferable, or the pensioners, which have been, like, essentially complaining about austerity and the ridiculous pensions they have, which sometimes sustain whole families. So these are all things that need to happen desperately. 
because the future of the country depends on them. And to be fair, I don't care if uh, the socialists take credit as long as they happen. Because, I mean, Podemos was a party created three years ago. Our commitment is not to the party structure, it's to actual change. So if they happen and the socialists want to take credit, like, be my guest. Having said that, um, there is a limit to what the Socialist Party will do, because um, it has huge debts to the banks and huge connections with the media bribing establishment. Um, Sanchez itself is not particularly ideologically sound, so there is all this tendencies which will stop also its own, its own internal politics. If Podemos's internal politics are complex, the soy has 140 years of them, so they're a lot more limited in what they can do. So Podemos's demands will always go beyond what um, the soy can do, and it's our job to use our collective intelligence and experience to, by achieving things, also demonstrating what a truly progressive government could do mm. and make that new Spain imaginable before it can happen. Because what we had before was like a deadlock and mm. it, it didn't matter what we said because it didn't seem realistic. Now, if we can make the change happen, then the opportunity for further change opens. And people don't mobilise when they think things are unfair. They mobilise when they think there's a change of changing them. And that's what we can demonstrate, that we can change things. And it's gonna it's not gonna be easy, but for the first time we have the capacity to move and do this and make that future country like touchable, like realistic. Um why don't you explain a bit more about what is going on in Catalonia? Because I think a lot of our listeners will have seen the scenes of police brutality mm -hmm. and will know that there's a struggle for independence, but won't really know any more details than that. Okay, so first thing to understand is that Spain is a country of countries. It's not just Catalonia. The regions are incredibly diverse. We have five official languages. The Basque country is uh, Galicia. It's uh, the Valencian country as well. Even Andalusia, which doesn't have its own language, has its own identity. And until we have a constitution that recognises that diversity and a political territorial structure that recognises that diversity, we will always have a problem. Um, in the case of Catalonia, for reasons which are a bit um, long to explain, uh, it reached a point where... Catalan society was demanding a referendum on independence. And instead of granting it to them like any Democrat would have, the Conservative Party in Spain uh, saw an opportunity for uh, redirecting attention away from the corruption scandals and into an internal enemy. Instead of um, decreasing the tension, they just added more wood to the fire and could be like, look at all these Catalans. And likewise, the, the Catalan government, the, that's the other thing about Catalan independence, it's politically really diverse. It goes from things like the coup, which would be classified on, on the far left, I guess, or would self as a socialist, to very, very conservative. And that's reflected in the government. The, the current president and most of his government are from the Catalan conservatives, and, and the left has a relatively minor role. The streets, again, is a whole different spectrum. In the streets are some people who definitely want a socialist republic, and others who don't. There's, um, the one thing that distinguished this Catalan nationalism from Spanish nationalism is that Spanish nationalism is never too... Because we've never negotiated that territorial identity well. When people bring up the idea of Spain, it's never too far from fascism. We don't have a progressive Spanish nationalism. We're trying to build it, but it's not quite there yet. Whereas Catalan nationalism, it had never been ethnicist or xenophobic. That has slightly changed with the appointment of the last Catalan president, who is quite reactionary, uh, ultra-Catholic, and also a bit of an ethnicist. 
but it's like the first hint. Overall, there hadn't been any of those tendencies. Because the Spanish government didn't allow them to have a referendum, they called for a sort of mock referendum, which wasn't mock in the sense that it was felt as one, but it didn't have any of the guarantees. And instead of just letting it happen, the Spanish government sent 10,000 police agents that on top of that were volunteers. And we saw the scenes of horrible brutality of like people trying to vote and the police stopping them. Um, so the thing got more and more complex and there's been mistakes on both sides. Obviously the responsibility of the Spanish government is a lot higher because they have a lot more power. Um, but there's been the Catalan government passed a unilateral motion of independence without any parliamentary debate and ignoring, not having really the necessary um, political backing and ignoring all parliamentary procedure. They promised things which would never happen. Then the Spanish government, everything got really demagogical. And instead, and they tried to legalize the problem, like take it to the courts, and then they applied direct rule, which was insane, and started putting. Uh, politicians in prison, which should have never happened. Um, so what we need is dialogue. We need to stop this tension from mounting and just, we need political solutions towards a political problem, not legalizing it and taking it to court because that will never solve it. So from Podemos, we we would like Catalonia to stay in Spain, but we think it's the right to have a referendum and decide by themselves if they want to stay with us or not. And that, that's one of the problems, isn't it, in terms of the squeezing of the left in, in Spain, because what Catalonia's done is is whip up uh, a very reactionary brand of Spanish nationalism um, and resentment against Catalonia. Um, and because Podemos have, I suppose, what would be seen as a relatively nuanced position, which is against independence for a referendum or the right to decide, as is as it's called, um, that when you get you know enraged anti-Catalan nationalism, that that they're somehow seeing Podemos as is somehow you know. You know, everyone is is expected to be as hostile and aggressive towards Catalonia as possible, and any weakness in that is is in, in that kind of massive jingoism uh, is is demonised, and that that's partly why Podemos have been squeezed a bit, isn't it? Well, the thing is, it's concentrated conversation on like the wrong elements because I believe this is not a problem of Catalonia versus Spain. This is a question about what sort of Spain we want. Because some of the measures they've been applying to Catalonia, they've now been threatening to apply them to other regions as well. So are we talking about reactionary authoritarian Spain? We're talking about a plurinational Spain that allows its regions to decide what sort of interaction they want to have with the central government. So we need to open a conversation about what Spain should be to reflect what it actually is, this plurinational entity. And until we resolve that, we'll have a problem. And it's been in the interest of the, both the Catalan right and the Spanish right to concentrate the conversation almost in kind of football team terms, where it's like us and them and nothing else. And I would never blame them, the, the rise of the Spanish left on the Catalan um, independence movement. That's the fault of the, uh, Spain having not resolved our national identity issues. So that's a conversation we need to open, because otherwise it takes away the conversations for matters of social justice and democracy, and it just reduces them to Spain versus Catalonia and how horrible the others are, and it brings up the worst in Spanish society. So we really need to calm down the conversation, open democratic dialogue, try to understand what the roots of the problem are, which is a bad territorial integration of Spain, and then just go ahead with democracy and conversation and talk about social justice 
and all the many problems that both Spain and Catalonia have, which are not talked about. Catalonia, um, under the conservative Catalan government, experienced some of the worst cuts in Spain. There were the government that affected most families, the, the government that rose tuition fees the most. And yet all these things have become secondary to mm. independence. So, as I said, it's one of the crucial things Spain has to face. But we really need to um, open that conversation, which is political, not legal, about how to go ahead. What um, lessons do you think the British left can learn from Podemos's experience? Obviously, the contexts are quite different in each country. It's a world of its own. But one of the things that makes me really proud about Spain is the fact that it didn't develop um, Kind of reactionary or xenophobic response to the crisis. And that's not because we are nicer or anything. If anything, fascism has far more of a recent, recent memory and quite alive in Spain. The reason for that is because from the very beginning, thanks to the Indignados, that floating anger about the laws of um, life expectations and like all the um, consequences of the crisis was directed towards the top, towards those who were actually responsible for the crisis the bankers, the politicians that took the decisions, instead of against the bottom, against the like migrants, refugees, benefit seekers, those who cannot defend themselves. So I think that shows that this anger has to be channeled and has to be channeled in a progressive direction because people are right to be angry. There's a lot to be angry about. Whoever gets to channel that anger has the power to change things and it can be done for the better, it can be done in the reactionary direction. And I think that is a very important lesson as all, not assuming that people just woke up one day with like um, a desire for fascism. It's understanding where that anger comes from and that it can be directed in a positive direction if somebody can articulate that message clearly in a way that resonates with the majority of people. Just finally, just to kind of wrap everything up, um, how optimistic are we all feeling about what's happening in Europe and, and the United States as well? Because we, we have to crash now, it's almost, it's almost a decade uh, mm -hmm. of economic and social turmoil. And, you know, for a long time we had austerity and, and neoliberalism being uh, even more entrenched. Mm -hmm. and, and we got this wave of right-wing populism and xenophobia and, and racism and, and the rise of, you know, some of the mm -hmm. fascist parties. Um, and we also have seen the rise of the new left. And the old centrist, you know, Blairite, third-way politics has, has really collapsed and... You know, Britain is an exception, as you say, with those uh, left of centre parties, those social democratic parties, uh, precisely because it, it avoided mm -hmm. that route. In 2015, Labour was going the same way as all the other parties. Mm -hmm. It was crumbling in different directions to uh, xenophobic populist UKIP, uh, to uh, left of, uh, to more radical parties, the Greens, mm -hmm. and also to civic nationalists, the Scottish National Party. And that crumbling has happened everywhere. But in 2017, that, that went into reverse and, and Labour got 40% of the vote, whilst elsewhere, some social democratic parties won about 5-6%, mm -hmm. um, and they're in a state of collapse in, 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 in many parts of Europe. Um, but you, it, it strikes me now, you've got this battle between, it is either us, the left, so it's Podemos, it's the Sanders new left of America, uh, it, it's the like of uh, Mélenchon in France, mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's obviously Corbynism here. And it, it strikes me now that we do have a real opening and a chance to defeat the populist and xenophobic right and also austerity and, and end the neoliberal project. It's, it's, it's something which a few years ago seemed utopian. You know, it was once said that phrase, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. But, but actually it seemed like, you know, it's easier to end, imagine the end of the world than the end of neoliberalism, let alone capitalism. But now you do see there is this sense 
that, you know, it's Spain, Britain and America uh, and in France, which for a long time looked like a complete catastrophe, just fascism on the march and when it, younger people were the most likely to support the fascists. But there is actually now scope, if we get this right, for the left to, to succeed. Absolutely. Um, I mean, first of all, I think we shouldn't underestimate how terrible the situation is in Europe, how dangerous the situation is in Europe, because we're seeing the, the rise of the xenophobic reactionary right in many, many places. And, and the numbers, like polling over 20% or so mm. even higher. And that is not a minor thing. We should take into account. And the problem is in... With the collapse of, with the, as you say, the exception of Britain, of social democratic parties, um, the kind of two legs that have sustained most political systems in Europe just have one. So we are the alternative. Like, Macronism is not going to be the alternative. Mm. The, the new left and the traditional social democrats, which are still true to the original values, are the ones that can save us from the, monster, the monsters, essentially. So I think we need to realise the importance of that and start building alliances because the neoliberals are talking to each other, the reactionaries, the Le Pen's and Farage of the world are talking to each other. We need progressives to talk to each other too and create alliances and fronts across borders in a way which hasn't happened before. So for them, as we, we're trying to do that, but obviously we are a modest-sized party in a modest-sized country. So we launched this declaration of Lisbon for a revol um, democratic revolution in Europe, signed by the Bloco and uh, France Insoumise, and we're trying to expand. We've now started um, a campaign against tax havens and tax dodging with three more parties, and we're trying to expand that, but we need other parties, and I think Corbyn Labour is in an excellent position to lead that sort of alliance, because it's there in the kind of interface between traditional social democratic parties and neo-emergent left parties. So I think we need to realise of the dangers we face across the continent, but also to, as you say, realise what an amazing opportunity we have to make progressive change happen. But we really need to start talking to each other and working together. Um, I don't feel particularly optimistic at the moment. Very anxious oh, about... piss all over Sorry. <laughs> I agree with, I, obviously, I mean, this is like what my book's about. Like, I agree with the uh, analysis that, um, that the centre is collapsing and the catalyst for that is the financial crisis and I think that's partly because of the political effects of the financial crisis the way it upended all of the arguments that were made about neoliberalism but also the material effects of the financial crisis that people are obviously going to want huge changes in politics when current politics is making their lives steadily worse so I agree with that but I just um but I guess I feel at the moment that the the, the European left is not taking the far right seriously enough and for exactly the reasons you say it's a coordinated well-funded um international movement um that's serious about what it's doing and it's um and it i think it is quite astute in terms of how to position itself whereas i feel like the left is kind of coasting and maybe not taking that seriously enough and i and i i i think that um History is the sort of product product of conditions and um, circumstance, but also it's about your you know the certain movements' responses to political conditions, and we can't just expect things to turn our way. We need to steer them in our direction, and I feel like there is complacency at the moment, and that that really worries me. So I'm so I agree with the analysis, but I'm sort of slightly I would say I'm concerned. I'm so a like, lot more upbeat than that. Having gone through periods of total misery, 
I mean, maybe the maybe I've gone to the other extreme now. From going at one point, just the depths of total despair. Now I'm just like, no, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> we just need to keep on fighting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look here and think it's you know it's messy, but I think there's every chance if Britain has a transformative socialist government, which I think we will, that will you know that could really change everything. Let's be optimistic. But anyway, lots of things to, to over there, but absolutely fantastic. What an absolute honour and privilege. Oh, thank you. Um, I think everyone who listens to this will be far more, infinitely more educated about what's going on over in Spain and why it matters, why it should matter for any of us who want to build a different sort of world, I guess, than the one we've got at the moment, which is rubbish. So we can do that. Si, se puede. Indeed. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank You're you an absolute both. hero. Um and uh, it's an absolute honour and uh, can't wait to be campaigning with you probably at some other general election in Spain at some point. I'm just in it for the free holidays. I'll be <laughs> uh, so thank you so much and uh, we will be back soon uh, with Agitpod. I hope you're all well. And that's all from us. Lots of love, everyone. Bye. Hasta la próxima. Si se puede. But I don't worry about a thing Cos I know nothing's going to be alright